Well, good morning, Bergen Park. You know, it is, uh, it's good to see you here this morning. If you have a Bible, if you want to open it and go to the book of James, James chapter 1, and listen, if you have a phone, you have a Bible. So you can also turn on your phone if you want to get an app. There's a number of great apps we're talking this morning, the Sunday School class. It's a fantastic app called the Blue Letter Bible. Have you ever heard of it? Blue Letter Bible is fantastic because if you ever read one of those verses and after reading it, you said to yourself, you know, what in the world does that mean? Right? Am I the only one? Yeah, you, t- you read a verse and you think, what in the world does that mean? Well, on Blue Letter Bible, when you read that verse and then you tap on the verse, there are commentaries, there are definitions. If you want to get into Greek, Hebrew, all that stuff, and it's all free, a great app. Another great app is the Version Bible. Do you have that? Version is fantastic because it will uh, remind you when you sign up for like a reading plan through the Bible, it'll remind you that you haven't read today and you need to. It'll even send the verse to you by email so that if you don't do it through the phone and you get to, the, to work, the office, whatever it is, you open that email and there's, there's that verse for the day. You know, it's so important for us as a body of Christ to listen to Christ, to listen to God. And, and I don't know about you, but I need more time to listen. You know, life goes pretty fast. And certainly as you get on the road of life and making decisions and kind of following our kids, following our our spouse, it's easy to get in that mode of just talking and talking, doing, doing, doing. But see, God really wants us to be still and to know that He is God and that He is with us. And the only way we can do that is to listen. So here's something I'd ask you to do. One action step this week is next week, you know, if you're not in custom to bring your Bible, let me tell you one of the reasons why it's so important is it actually helps the people around you. And we have all these young people, we call them children, and they're in this very vulnerable place in life where they're trying to figure things out. And see, they're looking to us and they assume because you're older, you're mature, right? And so we want to kind of lay that foundation for our kids that Scripture is incredibly important. So if you could do that uh, just next week, you know, bring your Bible or, or just turn it on. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the elders here at Bergen Park, and I have the privilege to be an elder over teaching and preaching. And so today we're going to jump right in the book of James. And before I do that, uh, let me pray and ask God to, to guide our time together. You ready? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that, Lord, I thank you that uh, you are so patient with us. The scripture says, Lord, you're patient. You do not want any to perish, but all come to everlasting life. And Lord, I know many come in this morning and, and, and they just got themselves here today. And the week could have been a challenge, the tra- trials of life or just the burdens uh, of a day. And we have the privilege just to calm our hearts and say, in Jesus' name, Father, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear. Would you use me, Lord, as a broken vessel to communicate your truth? And Father, thank you that we gather under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So for the next 12 weeks, we're going to be walking through James. And let me tell you why this is 
so incredibly important for me, and, and hopefully you'll find that it's going to be valuable to you, is that as we go through life, and as we go through the days of life and seasons, and as you have kids, kids grow up, and you get to that point, you think about retirement, unexpected events happen. Now, we can't plan out life just the way we want it, but things happen. So what James starts off to say is that what we need in the midst of life is we need wisdom. We need wisdom to know how to live life because, you know, we don't think of ourselves this way, but the Bible tells us that because of sin, all of us start out in life as fools. Now, why are we fools? Because we're fooled. We see something and it looks attractive, it looks helpful for life, and we just kind of pursue the desires of a heart. We say, hey, if I can just discover my true desire, find out who I really am inside, then I'm going to be happy, content in life, and then... You have advertisers, and advertisers are constantly telling you what you need. And they're saying, you know, if you only had this, you only had this. And then you go to work and you find somebody else who's a little more successful, has got a couple more degrees, and then you move next to somebody whose family seems to be a little more together. And you start finding in life you're chasing after something, and you're hoping if I ever catch the rabbit, I may actually have joy and contentment in life. And what James is doing is he's taking the teachings of Jesus. And specifically, as we go through this, you'll find he's taking the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's taking what Jesus is saying, and he's applying his teaching to the everyday stuff of life. Because, see, that's where God wants to meet us. You know, not just on Sunday morning, not just in our quiet time, but God wants to glorify himself through you in the everyday moments of life. Because it's in the everyday moments that we have the opportunity to connect with people that need to know the gospel and need to see the generosity, the love, the compassion of God through God's people. And if we are God's people, then we need His wisdom to allow Him to work through us. You with me? And so James says, if you look in verse 2, that when these trials come, these unexpected events come into our lives, he says something incredibly counterintuitive, that we should consider our trials joy when we face trials of many kinds. And he tells us here's why. Because the testing of our faith, the testing of our faith, that what a trial does is it tests your faith. Now, it tests your faith in that you start asking questions. Because when things are good, I think all of us, when things are good, think, hey, I'm right with God. When things are good, I I don't doubt my relationship with God. When things are going well at home with my kids, they're going well in the church, I'm not doubting that uh, God loves me and He's caring for me, but when things go South, when when dark times come, when darkness comes over my heart, my mind, and I start thinking in ways that are negative, or I start seeing things and events that are happening, and I think, okay, what's coming down the road is going to be really bad. In those moments of darkness, what God wants to do is to draw near. And He wants to show us, as James is going to say, uh, He wants to show us who He is, and He wants to remind us of on the one hand, what God has done, but also to establish us in what God is doing in our lives. And so James starts with trials, and he says, realize when trials come that God wants to provide us wisdom, 
And the word that he uses is that we would be perfect. Do you see that? Incomplete, not lacking anything. Now that word perfect, we looked at it just a little bit last week, is this word teleos. It's an important word for James because it's not just perfect in terms of having everything that we want, but it's perfect in terms of our purpose. That the reason for trials is to equip you to be the kind of person who can benefit others. The purpose for trials is to be the kind of person that James calls himself in verse 1 where he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, i got to be real honest with you because it's Sunday. I'm not a natural servant. I know, it must shock you, surprise. You can talk to my wife at the uh, women meet the wife day. And she'll tell you, I am not a natural servant. I am very, very self-centered. And certainly when I'm hurting, I'm like a bear. Now, I've never met a bear, but I don't want anyone near me. You know, I grunt, I grumble. I want to get in a dark place, you know, kind of say, hey, and my wife hates it. I can fall asleep no matter the level of stress. More stress, more sleep. I know it's, it works well for me. But in the midst of that, here's what I forget. Even in my pain, God is teaching me to be a servant. And maybe all the things I'm complaining about, all the people I'm complaining about, all the obstacles I see in life are not obstacles that God's put in my way to harm me. Actually, they're obstacles or opportunities. God wants me to exercise faith, to experience His love in ways that I otherwise wouldn't experience it. Are you with me? Marriage, we talked about last week, is, can be a trial. But through marriage, I'll tell you, I have experienced the love of God in ways that I could never in my singleness ever imagine of being fully known and yet fully loved. Because my wife knows I'm not a great servant. And yet she continues to love me, to show grace towards me. And my kids, you know, they, they, they see those rough edges in life, don't they? I mean, they know what we claim to believe, but they really see the parts of us that are a, a little rough on the outside, that if everyone else saw, we may be kind of embarrassed in terms of what, what really happens in our homes. But my kids see that. And yet there's a love in my kids, there's a love in my wife, and all of that comes from the love that is in, in our Heavenly Father. And James is saying, church, as we go through challenges, the reason we walk through those challenges is so that you and I might be equipped to love one another and importantly, to love Evergreen in a way that reflects who he is. Now, that sounds great and exciting and, and everything that it is, but what do we need? The questions we're going to ask today are twofold. One, on the one hand, what do we need as we go through the trials of life? And then second, how do we get it? So that's what James is going to describe in verses 5 through 8. On the one hand, what do we need? Because trials are not easy. James is not saying when you go through hardship and your health is failing, or when you go through hard times financially and you're not quite certain that you're going to meet the needs that you have, what is it that we need to go through those, those trials and struggles in a way that doesn't destroy us, but actually makes us better? And see, that's where verse 5 comes in, and he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God 
who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But then there's a qualifier, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose to receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So what is it that we need in the face of trials? Now, I can think of a lot of things. A more patient family, a more generous boss, right? The right pill. But what does James say we need? It's the one thing we don't think about, it's wisdom. Now, he's not saying wisdom in general, and he's not saying wisdom to know if I should buy this SUV or that SUV. He's not saying, you know, the wisdom to make this little decision. He's talking about wisdom in terms of suffering in life. That when we're going through hardships, there is a kind of wisdom that God gives us and can only give you when there's pain in your life. Because when there's pain, I don't know about you, but I tend to have a a little more listening ear. I don't think I'm as great as I once thought I was or as talented as I once thought I was because all the things that caused me to build myself up in pride, my success, my achievements, what other people thought of me, you know what? None of those things can take away the sadness or the pain that I'm feeling in that moment. And God suddenly shows me, you know, gosh, what am I chasing after? What am I really worried about? What am I trying to get? None of these things can solve the challenges that I'm facing, but the one thing that can is the wisdom, as James says, that comes from God. Now, there's a great quote I want to share with you. It comes from uh, one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis. It might be in your handout, I think, and it says this. It says, For the wise men of old... The cardinal problem, and hear this, the cardinal problem of life was how to conform the soul to the objective reality. And the solution was wisdom, self-discipline and virtue. Now listen to what he says. But for the modern man, the cardinal problem is how to conform reality to the wishes of man, meaning to the wishes of my heart. And the solution is a technique. You hear what he's saying? Throughout history, what man has asked, the question that man has most often asked is, how do I conform my heart to what is reality? Now, modern secular life, and secular comes from the uh, Latin root word that means the now. The modern man doesn't ask the question, how do I conform my desires to what's real, but how can I conform everyone else to what I want? How can I get what I want, achieve what I want, manipulate what I want, so that I'm the center of life and I can change all the things around me? And so what do we look for is we look for three steps to success. You know, four recipes for a happy marriage and a happy life. Have you heard of those things? It's every book that's on the bookshelf. It's everything that we tend to to jump to. I want a pill. I want something simple. I want a technique. I want a simple way of just changing the things that I do, making it a little bit better because I don't really want to change. I just want to improve. So God, I'd like you to be an advisor. Wouldn't mind if you come in with some of that power and change some people around me, but I don't want to submit to you as my Lord. And see what James is saying, what C.S. Lewis is saying 
is the wisdom that God gives us is not wisdom to make my life happier. It's the wisdom to conform my heart to the heart of God. To know God and then to hear the voice of God so that when I'm going through darkness and I'm walking through difficulty, I know how to hear his voice and I have the humility to respond to what he says. Because wisdom is responding to life as God sees it and not just as I see it. And and here's what I find. I find so often that the biggest challenge in life is not just the challenge, it's the way that I see the things that are happening to me. Or it's the way that I interpret why certain things are happening. And James is going to say what wisdom does is it helps you to understand why certain events, why certain things are happening. So for example... You know, as a a young boy, I'll I'll share a little bit about my life. Uh, I struggled. I struggled because I had dyslexia. I had a hard time reading. School was difficult for me. And and many of the teachers, I think at that time, weren't quite certain how to deal with it. And so instead of seeing the struggle of someone that was trying to learn, they saw somebody who was disobedient, who had no interest in learning. And because of that, I was kind of labeled at a young age. You know, as that troubled kid, and I want you to know I rose to expectations. (laughs) I did. Exceeded expectations to the point that we have friends or family that used to come to my church in Texas. They say, I never thought, I never thought I'd ever see you up up on a stage unless it was a a courtroom. (laughs) Because that was the story of my life. You know, hardship and trouble. And what happened was, in my young heart, at the age of five or six, I had all these series of rejections. You know, you wanted to be successful. And it wasn't just the rejection that destroyed me, but what happened is the father of lies, Satan, in the midst of experiencing rejection, would tempt me to believe, you're worthless. Why is this happening to you? Because there's something wrong with you. You just be like your brother. Doesn't cause problems. You know, successful, honor student, football player. See, if you were just like that, then your parents could love you. See, it wasn't the rejection that I struggled with. It was what I believed about myself based on what was happening. And see, in life... I'm not saying that sickness isn't bad and that death isn't bad and that evil things don't happen to us and those things aren't bad, but it's not just the evil that happens to us. It's what we believe about the events that actually come into our lives. You with me? Well, what do you need to combat that? You need wisdom from somebody who's outside to speak in. And James says, when you're going through trials, what you need is wisdom. The main thing we need is wisdom. We need God to speak into our lives. And what we need from God is a perspective on how to see life. And not see life from the secular, meaning the now. But we need to learn to see life from the eternal. Not from sea level or or wherever we are right now. What is this? 7,200 feet? I've heard a lot of different things. 
I used to see life at 500 feet in Dallas, Texas. Now I'm at 7,200. Well, he wants to take us up. He wants to get us in the stratosphere. He wants us to get us high and to see life from his vantage point and to see that the things that are coming into our life are not to destroy us, not to make us bitter, but in some ways, which is really hard for us to grasp, sometimes suffering is a sign of his love. It's a sign of his perfection. And so what we need is wisdom. Now, let me give you a couple examples. And again, if you have your Bible, you can jump there. You can look later. Write this down. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at two incidents in the life of Paul. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says something that, that is remarkable. It's a beautiful verse to memorize, but I think it's one of those verses that takes a lifetime to grasp and comprehend. You with me? And he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16... So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Outwardly, can we attest to give an amen? We're wasting away. The older I get, you know, I can't keep up. I can't even walk up the hill behind the Tucker's house. I'm wasting away. What he's saying, though, is though outwardly we're breaking down, you've got to have wisdom to know what God is doing inwardly is creating a wealth that's greater than your external wealth. To the point that if I go through a trial, and we're listening to Paul here, and Paul went through trials, 39 lashes. 40, they said, would kill you. 39 could kill probably any one of us. I mean, 39 lashes. He was shipwrecked. Bitten by a snake, cast out, went through persecutions, stoned, not that stone, but stoned, <laughs> on the run, hungry and need and want and persecution. And yet, listen to the way that he describes his own suffering. He calls it light, momentary affliction. Now, it didn't feel that way when it was happening. Where did that description come from? I'll tell you, it's what James said. Paul asked for wisdom. When he was shipwrecked, when he was bitten by a snake, people were throwing stones at him. He said, God, I want to quit. And I've been there as a pastor many times. God, I'm done. This whole Jesus thing and God thing, I thought you were going to fix things and solve everybody else. And, and then God says, no, Jason, I, I called you to be a pastor to change your heart so that through you, people would see my life in you. See, Paul had to ask for wisdom. Wisdom to know that what God is doing inside my life, what God is doing to change me, is greater than anything I may lose in this life. Now, jump to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Because Paul gets a little more in-depth into his own personal struggles, and he describes, and you've probably heard this phrase, a thorn in his flesh. And I love how he says it. He calls it, you ready for this? A messenger of Satan. Now, I have no idea what that means, but it's, it's bad. He says, God has given me, God has allowed a messenger of Satan. Now, whatever that would mean and look like, you know, if, I'd run from that if I heard a messenger of Satan was coming in my life. And he says, God has given this to me. And listen to what, how he describes it. Verse 7, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited, 
because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Now, what's the revelations? Paul met Jesus. Now, not alive, but alive, meaning after he had risen from the dead, Paul has this amazing experience where Jesus, the risen Lord, appears to him on the road to Damascus, you know, knocks him off his horse and blinds him, and he goes through all these experiences, and Jesus communicates the gospel. And he says, because I had this amazing opportunity to experience God, I needed a thorn. Now, why did he need a thorn? It was given to me in a flash, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me, and he says it again, from becoming conceited. Twice he says it. What did Paul learn in his suffering? Do you think he knew he was conceited when he was successful? When he was a Pharisee? When everybody said, you know, I want my daughter to marry you, Paul, you're an amazing guy. Where did he learn that he was conceited? It was when suffering came into his life. He saw his flaws. And then he had this thorn in the flesh, which he says here three times, three times, right? I pleaded, which I imagine Paul all night long just praying to God, God, would you take it away? Would you take it away? Would you take it away? And what does God say? Paul, I love you, man, but no. And I'll tell you why. Because my grace, and you need to memorize this one, is sufficient for you. And whatever weakness you're dealing with, my power wants to get perfect in your weakness so the power of Christ will dwell in you. Paul, I gave you a weakness so that you'd really know just how weak you are and so that my power might dwell in you. And you might walk in confidence, not because you're the smartest guy, the most successful guy, but because you have a Lord, as Paul uh, James is about to say, is a generous God who gives to all without finding fault. Paul, I want you, in your weakness, to depend on my strength. Church, is that where we are? And where are you running to in times of weakness? Whatever you run to, hear me, it may be your Lord. See, what we run to in times of weakness often is saying something about the condition of our heart. It doesn't mean we don't believe in Jesus. But what it means is, and as Paul's going to get into this, we have a divided loyalty in our heart. And so he says, and what he's going to show us, is we need two disciplines. You ready for this? Here's the action side. And we need one reminder. As, as we need wisdom, and wisdom is what we need in the midst of trials, what we need to realize is that there are two disciplines I want to share with you today that you need to pick up. One's going to be very counterintuitive. And the second thing is I want to show you a gospel reminder. When I say a gospel reminder, the word gospel in the Greek means good news. And so the New Testament talks about the good news. Now, the good news, in a sense, in a broad sense, is, hey, this is who God is, and this is what God has done. The good news of the gospel of the Old Testament, the New Testament, is, hey, this is who God is. It's not like the pagans say, you don't have to try to earn God's love. You don't have to earn his approval. If you offer these sacrifices, then he's going to give you a lot of money. That's not the story. Rather, the good news is our God is holy. He is just, but he's also merciful, loving, and patient. And the good news is look at what God has done for you through the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, um, James says this in verse 5. So what do we need? What are the disciplines 
It says again, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And here's the gospel reminder, who gives generously? Now, for you English majors, what he's doing is he's going to give us the indicative before the imperative. Did that hit anyone? (laughs) Right, me neither. It took me a long time. He's giving you the gospel, the truth. What's the gospel? Is it human wisdom to believe that God is generous? I mean, does life just naturally lead you to believe in the generosity of God? I, I don't think so. It's the gospel that teaches you that. When people in the community say that God is love, do you know where that comes from? It doesn't come from their experience in life. That comes from the gospel. Only in the gospel do you see the love and the self-sacrifice of God. So when people in Evergreen say, hey, I don't believe in your God, I believe in a God of love, realize they're just disconnected from the source of truth, which is, is in the gospel. And so he's saying to us, God is generous, which means... It doesn't matter how many times you failed. And even if last week you're at the exact same point that you are today and you're crying out to God in wisdom and you're wondering, okay, God, maybe this is it, third time, you know, I'm out. He's saying God is eager to respond to that request when you're broken, you're humble. You're saying, Father, I need your wisdom above all else. You know, what this reminds me of, you remember parents when the... (laughs) First time on the diving board for your son, you know, you got the floaties on. Not just the floaties, you got the life vest, leg floaties, arm fl- Michelin man, right? That child is up there. There is no way they're going to sink. If anything, they're probably going to pop upside down and they're going to be on their back, you know. Absolutely safe. And then you get right off the diving board, right? You're right there. And what do you say? Jump. Jump. And then you start reminding, hey, You know I'm strong enough. You know I love you. I wouldn't drop you. Not intentionally. (laughs) I did drop Bryce once. I'm sorry, hon. It was 10 years ago. What are we doing? The same thing that James is saying. He's saying, guys, as you're going through trials, God is generous. God is generous. God is generous. Jump. What does that mean? In faith, ask him. And by asking him what he's going to say is don't doubt. Now, when you hear doubt, I don't, that's challenging because I, I have doubts. I'm a pastor. I know you hired me. I'm sorry. You hired a pastor with doubts. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, doubt. Doubt doesn't just simply mean uncertainty. Rather, if you look down, what James does, and wisdom literature will do this, is it always defines terms. And it usually defines terms in the following verses. So what does it mean to doubt? Well, notice he says, verse 6, but let him ask in faith, not doubting. For the one who doubts is like, and he gives us this amazing description, a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose to receive anything from the Lord. And then notice what he says. He is a double-minded man, unstable, in all his ways. Now, if you remember from last week, what trials are to produce in us is stability. Steadfastness. Sumo, remember that? In the underwear? Right, we're supposed to be steadfast. But what happens when you doubt? It's not just intellectual dishonesty. It's not just that you're doubting that God is who he says he is. What he's saying is when you doubt, you have divided loyalties. 
Because what's double-minded? I don't, I don't know what I want. I'm running from this place, and I'm, I'm looking for comfort and satisfaction, and then I'm going to God because I blew it. And I'm saying, okay, God, you got to rescue me. Gotta save. And then as soon as the pain is gone, I'm, okay, I'm off again, enjoying life, pursuing things my way, and then the pain comes, and I'm running back to God. And he's saying, what you're like is a wave of the sea. It's kind of like one of those boats. You, one of my favorite shows, Deadliest Catch. You ever seen that? Guys are amazing. You know, I wouldn't last five seconds. I wouldn't last on the docks with those guys. But you'll notice sometimes what will happen is there'll be a, an accident. Someone will get hurt. And, and the Coast Guard will come out, and they try to take the helicopter. Have you seen that? And they try to lower it down. Well, how difficult is it to give wisdom to somebody who's like this? God's powerful enough, but he's saying, you need to stop. And, and to have faith is to say, okay, God, I got a lot of questions. I don't know why this is happening, but I'm going to stand and say, Lord, unless you give me wisdom, I'm doomed. God, I'm looking to you not as another voice. Listen, I'm looking to you as the voice. Because I don't know if you notice this today, and I hear this certainly among millennials, like all authority and information today seems to be gone. Like the mom blog is as equal as the PhD. Are you with me? That you'll go to Twitter almost as the same way you'd go to your doctor, and you'll say to somebody, you know, I read on Twitter the other day that this is the best way to care for your child, and, and you ignore what the doctors say. And it's like today, all information is kind of on this level playing field. And then people add God into that and say, okay, the mom blog, Twitter, the PhD, and God are all on this kind of level playing field. Well, that's double-minded. What God is saying is I can't be a voice among many voices. I need to be the voice. I need to be the place you run to. And when you run to me, you run to me because I'm generous. You run to me because you know. I want to give generously to you without finding fault. And it says, here's a promise, right? And it will be given. That's faith. See, God is generous. He wants to give us wisdom. The question is, church, are we willing to desperately cry out to him and say, Father, I want your wisdom above all things. Hey, and if that's where you are today, you know, I want you to understand that God is generous in his grace. And you know what he says? He gives more grace to the humble, not to the successful or those that just get it right. He gives grace to those who admit, God, I have run in so many directions you know, I'm even in church, and I'm still running. I'm like Jonah. I'm like Peter. But God, I want to humble myself and say, Lord, would you speak? Because if you don't speak, if you don't speak, I cannot be useful to the people around me. See, God wants to speak. The question, last question we have to ask, you know, two disciplines. One, you need to ask, if I didn't clarify that. The second is you need to discover what your divided loyalties are. As Jesus said, don't build your house in the sand. Build it on the rock. When trials come, what you're experiencing is God is showing you your sand. You with me? And what he's doing, because all of us got a little sand, okay? It's okay. We all, pastors got a little sand too. And what God is doing through those trials is he's scooting the house over. Every time a trial comes, he's scooting the house over, he's scooting the house over, he's scooting the house over, so that you're firm, you're steadfast, you're complete. Now, last question, and we've got to end. You know, 
how do I know that I've heard the voice of God? And that's a great question. Because he says, if you ask, you're going to receive. Well, what in the world does it look like to receive? And, and let me give you this illustration. It's not mine. I heard it from somebody else. I've never seen somebody do this. I will never, never, n- never do this in Colorado. It's called free climbing. Is that the word? Climbing with no ropes, no help. I call that lunacy. <laughs> but here's what has to happen. And, and maybe you've seen it. Maybe you've seen somebody from a distance. It almost seems like they're not moving, doesn't it? Now, why? Because they're, they're careful. And, and they know that to take the next step, they've got to be steadfast. You with me? What does that mean? Grounded. They want to know their footholds are going to hold. And they want to know the one hand that they've got before they reach for the other hand is complete. It's perfect. And then they take the next step. Why? Because what's at stake is life. And and you watch that person, and they're very deliberate. They may check before they go. That is a picture of the Christian life, church, when you're going through trials. What God wants you to do is slow down. Listen means you got to get into his word, which means we got to have our scriptures, our Bibles together. And then he wants to give you a body of Christ, which means sometimes the greatest wisdom is the verse that's already applied in the guy next to you. You with me on that? There are people sitting next to you right now that have walked through experiences. And God has taken scripture, he's taken worship, he's taken life, and he's produced a little bit of gold in the soul of that human being sitting next to you. And what God wants us to do as a community is to speak into each other's lives and to allow what God has done through trials, the perfect, to now influence one another so that we can say, God, I didn't just experience you on Sunday morning. I experienced you in your word, but I also saw your grace through the people in this church. And see, and as you experience that, what God is saying to us then is, church, let us bring that wisdom, which in the end is going to hold. You're not going to fall off the mountain. You're not going to go back. It's going to hold if you trust him. Let's bring that generosity, kindness to people in this city who think Jesus is crazy and what we're doing this morning is nuts. But when they see and hear the power of God, the Holy Spirit will work. He'll open their eyes and he will change them. Are you with me? Let us be that community, hold on to that wisdom, and then share what God's given us in the same way that God's given it to us. Worship team, would you come up? I want to pray for us as we conclude this morning worship. Father, I know as we walk through a time like this, it, it is, I do not want to diminish the hardship and the suffering that we could be going through. Lord, I don't want to diminish the, the sadness of death or the fear of sickness. Lord, we don't want to just take away as a community and, and, and wipe over and put thin verses over deep pain. Father, rather, right now in Jesus' name, we want to invite you. Would you meet us here today in our humility? Father, would we cry out to you and say, Lord, you have the wisdom that I need. Father, help me to humble myself to receive it in the way that you want to give, not just to run to different sources for wisdom, but say, Father, this morning... Would you be the voice I listen to? And would you give me the humility to hear from you? Father, we love you. Thank you for the truth that is in the Word of God. It changes us in Jesus' name.
Amen. Will you please stand as we respond and worship?